0: We should rock, paper, scissors for it. Who starts it, the winner or the loser? Yeah,
1: it's true. Well, I mean, I guess it depends how you look at it. Are we going to have like a
0: runoff? How do we start Do you consider this an
2: opportunity or a failure? Well, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) I
0: kind of feel like maybe that's the problem is that I don't know if we are saying... If we're going
2: through a game like this, it's like you don't want to do it at most. Well, I'm not...
0: Is that what you're saying, John? I would be the one to start the podcast. I just am saying I don't know if I should be the one to start the podcast. I feel like I've done that a couple times recently. Ronald just did it, I think. I think so. Ronald said, like, hello or something like that. And so, then I jumped in. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So I guess I'll do this one. Okay, you and want then, to start and then this then
0: you one you can off? jump in. Okay. Okay. Good.
2: Hey, guys, what's going on? Hey! Hey! hey. <laughs> Welcome to Movie Shmovie. Yes. Episode 81. 81. The equivalent of the year that I was born. Of the... 1900s <laughs> not not it's well not said <laughs> i had to make sure i kept that clear a good point <laughs> well communicated thank you thank you very yes. much john so this is a very special episode yeah i like this one. i think so I, th- I think so mainly because i went into it thinking that it might not be that great of an episode mm-hmm. because the topic that we're going to talk about i wouldn't consider myself any kind of expert even though i have some sort of experience with music, mm-hmm. not this kind of music. These people are way more skilled than anything I could ever do. They probably, like in the fingernail, can do more than I can do with any, right. any attempts I've made in the, in the music industry. But basically, we're going to be talking about our favorite film scores mm-hmm. of the 21st mm-hmm. century. Mm-hmm. So that, for Ronald, means from 2000 to 2013.
0: Cool? <laughs> <laughs> Roughly... Roughly, but he looks confused. Does he not yeah. have them from 2000 to 2013? Yeah, I think I do. I, <laughs> I bet Ronald's I got some from 2017.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. He went <laughs> no. to the, his sci-fi, yeah. his newfound oh, sci-fi love took oh, him into God, the future. Damn it,
1: what of them is it? Okay, See, I solid. knew that
2: would happen, which is why I threw it out there. I'm going to skip I said that it five you know times to yeah, him. But you
0: know what, Ronald? If that is how you got to three, just go ahead and mention <laughs> no, no, it. Because I, what's
2: important is that you have, you I'm have good.
1: a... Okay. I'm good, I'm All good. Right. But anyway, right, good.
2: so I went into this thinking like, I don't know a lot about instrumentation and, and, and this more this is a very specialized field. It gets a lot of attention at the Academy Awards. Um a lot of composers, songwriters, you see their names there there's a certain like group that you always see mm-hmm. in certain films or their credits and whatnot. And it's kind of intimidating for me to speak to any kind of authority with this with this topic because like I said, I don't feel like I'm very versed in it. But what I did in, in approaching it and trying to make my list is like we were talking before we started recording it's trying to reference a moment in watching a film where the score really cut through what I was watching on the screen and got to me. Um, and and in my my picks, uh, in, in three different ways, we're going to share our top three. Just you know, to get that yes. out there. So, but it
0: that said, getting into this and making this list, that's three I started, three from three guys. So for those of you at home keeping score, that's three times three. Yep, that's it. <laughs> um, but as I
2: got into it, I started to realize that. It actually meant a lot more to me than I thought it did, Mm -hmm. you know, and and thinking about some of these films of the past 13 years that I could really pull uh, the instrumentals out of or the score out of and say that at that moment in the movie or after leaving the film or having even, you know, sought out the score to to purchase or download myself, which doesn't happen very often. But um, cutting it down to three actually proved to be quite the challenge for me, which I did not think would be the case. I went into it thinking that I might have trouble coming up with three that I could confidently speak about as, a, you know, scores that I could
0: say I love. But, I mean, I'm really excited about my picks. I kind of felt the same way. and I mean, I didn't think it would be hard to come up with three, but I did find myself thinking, for one, we we limited it to the 21st century just because that, that kind of helped simplify it somewhat. Sure, It helps us focus because there's so many film scores. I mean, there's so many obvious brilliant scores and there's so many memorable themes maybe throughout film history that to say we were going to try to pick the top three from all film history would be a little daunting and might result in some really kind of obvious choices narrowing it to the 21st century made me think okay this will make it much harder for me to come up with scores that I love because I feel that most of the themes that I remember and that I've hummed for years those come from a lot of movies that I saw when I was a kid and 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 it really got me to thinking about the different ways that soundtracks serve a movie oftentimes a score is there to just really underscore the emotion of this of the scene and sometimes those scores are there to really pull you along and that's when you think of those traditional sweeping kind of classic scores like the john williams type of score where it the score is there really to amp up the emotions that are on screen and and almost almost make you feel them in a way that if you're not feeling them the score can really bother you and it can seem a little sappy and then there's the other approach to scoring where it's more about a sonic atmosphere and an ambient kind of feeling and that's where you get those scores that are more about weird tones and percussive sounds and and i found that i tried to i tried to remember as many of the different types of scores that i've loved as i could but it was it was still the first ones I thought of were the ones I kept coming back to, and so I ended up with some some picks that seem kind of obvious to me for me knowing my taste, but maybe they aren't. Maybe they aren't as blatantly obvious to the to the outside world. It'll be interesting to see. Okay. But I, I tried to think of not as much moments, although I did focus on moments where the score really punched through for me. But for me, most of these tracks are 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 ones that I've actually had the music isolated. I've actually had the file on my on my iPod. I've actually listened to it as a piece of music. How did you kind of choose your favorites, Ron?
1: Well, Kinda of the same thing. Like I, I, I remember just watching some movies and, you know, original music that really, really moves the story along in ways that not just the words can. so that it's it's nice to see something assist a story so well that doesn't have to have any words in it. Doesn't have to have necessarily the traditional sound you would think would be in a soundtrack. So I don't know. I, I think I kind of chose it based on that and how it made me feel when I was watching a lot of emotions behind it. So Would you like to start us off? Sure. Um, so one of the ones that I saw that just was like it, it was raw. It it cut to the core of me. It it messed with me. It messed with me a bit A bit. I felt like felt like I had gotten into a really bad argument with someone after I watched it. And I went to a funeral. Felt like I—it's like all that stuff all together. Requiem for a Dream, mm-hmm. one of the, the darkest movies I've ever seen in my life. Um, one of the most real looks at drug addiction that I've seen ever. Mostly because it and it, and it related to me a lot because I had people in my life that were like going through stuff like that. So the end scene. And everything is becoming like, whoa. Yeah. Everybody's fate is becoming clear. Yeah, and this song shit. comes on and it rocks my world.
2: This is, this is Clint Mansell's uh, Lux Eterna, and I mean, there's no greater sense of, of dread at the end of this film of just seeing Ellen Burstyn, Jared Leto, Jennifer Connolly uh, Marlon Wayans, who actually I think is great in this so film, good in that movie. really weird to say that out loud. You, you do feel like I've had the worst conversation with my best friend, somebody died in my family, there's no, there's no positive thing I can think of at this moment. The movie's super hard to watch, but it's an incredible film and one of my picks as well. Oh, cool, cool. So with that said, I'll actually probably <laughs> I'm gonna call an audible. I'm gonna <laughs> slot one in a little later. Cool. Yeah. I'm gonna do that. Um, but my first pick is um, actually a film from 2007, uh, directed by Andrew Dominic. It's uh, the assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. Oh, cool. Highly underseen film. I've Have never you guys seen ever it. seen it? I've never seen John? it. John. Yes. You have seen it. Yeah. I um, loved
0: it. I mean, I thought it was, it was, I understand again, it's kind of like uh, Killing Them Softly, yes. the follow up they did together. I can see why it didn't catch on with wider audiences, but I thought it was just, uh, you know, a work of art in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree.
2: It was actually one of my favorite movies of the year. And it was a, going back on it, it was a score that I didn't really think of initially, but. In coming across some of the songs that I actually had in my iTunes, mm-hmm. uh, it was one of the few that I actually already owned, which is kind of what you were kind of alluding to earlier. But there's a specific track. Um, it's called the song for Jesse, but this is a score done by Nick Cave and Warren Ellis, who has also done a score for The Proposition, a Guy Pierce film a few years before that, which was also great. But um, just a lot of uh, a lot of piano, um, like s- rustic strings, uh, very kind of tempoed like a funeral song would be, mm-hmm. um, but but a very soft melody to it, and the song that I have is, is a song for Jesse, uh, which is uh, obviously Jesse's theme. Um, just heart-wrenching sorrow, but so big by being so restrained.
0: figured out from doing this is just that i could listen to film music all yeah day. you know that i don't do it that often and i know people that do put on film scores i particularly know a lot of like writers that will listen to film scores when they write and i never i never do that but when i spent this time picking these types of songs out like that song right there i could just sit there and like it it, it it's amazing how good people who compose music for movies are at conjuring up those emotions yeah that even at, without watching the film you you just start to feel something when you hear a piece of music like that. Yeah,
2: the, that's the thing. Actually, I take away from it too is that this is like the kind of that one specifically, but even other tracks. There's a, there's the the song for Robert, uh, which is also really great track on the score. Um, it's just the kind of thing that I could like just turn on if I was like going to bed or just hitting a moment of thought, you know, and just like really wanting to kind of focus on something or just kind of detach from something. And just I don't know, just the how repetitive it is. Is almost like a trance to me, or it's almost like kind of lulls me into it. It almost sounds at times like a lullaby, mm-hmm. um, very much so. Yeah, and and it almost it it's, it very it, it, it taps into the film too because it's almost, um, you know, just talking about the decay of America as a at that time and of a character and of a way of life. And I mean, it just kind of touches it on a lot of different themes in, in different ways. But uh, Jesse's theme is absolutely uh, just incredible to me and it kind of almost like gives me goosebumps
0: sometimes when i listen to it had you always been aware that the music was integral to to this moment that you that stuck in your mind
2: well it, it, in the film yes i mean it, it really is the build to what you know is coming with jesse james mm-hmm. like the death of the original gangster yeah and it's right
0: there in the title of the film folks Not yeah, a yeah i didn't spoil that for <laughs> you
2: but it, it it does i mean i do liken it to that part of the that scene in the film mm-hmm. you know um all the all the dots that are lining up and it kind of unrolls very slowly with with the movie it, it, itself. Um, but like I said, this is actually this specific track is one that I had in a couple playlists that I had already made myself back years ago, three or four years ago, um, as just like a standout track that I could just I've I've put this on before just to listen to. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of more of like a hybrid thing for me where like I can relate it to that part of the film. Um, a very a very creative and, and effective way to. Make me experience something when I watch this film of something that I already knew was going to happen, but it kind of put me on a different level with it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, just an incredible score. I'd recommend you know checking it out if you if that sounded like kind of pensive and just like really nicely relaxing, but it's kind of like there's a tension. It, I check out the score. If you haven't seen the movie, go see the film too, or, or get it on. I already whatever. want to see it. I it's it's, it's I loved it. It was great. It's a hard watch. It's 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 absolutely. <laughs> Moody and somber. It, it don't, a lot of people like kind of like it. It's like a Terrence Malick film, which mm-hmm. I know you you didn't yeah. love The Last That You Saw, which no. also starred Mr. Bradley Pitt. But um,
0: I, I love this film. But uh yeah, John, what do you got for your first pick? Well, my first pick is one that... I almost feel like I've got to get this out of the way. Okay, good. Because when when we started talking about film scores and we limited it to the, the 21st century, a part of me thought, well, okay, well, that's going to eliminate all those John Williams scores that I grew up with, all those all those hummable themes that you leave the theater with them in your mind and they stay in your mind for months. And so it thought, I thought, okay, I'm going to be free from the tyranny of those really melody-based themes that of my youth, and I'm going to be thinking about more contemporary scores. But then there was... A certain set of movies that came out definitely in the 21st century that has perhaps the granddaddy of massive orchestral emotion-tugging scores. And that would be the Lord of the Rings trilogy uh, as directed by Peter Jackson. And the scores direct, uh, the, composed by Howard Shore, who prior to this was known more for his kind of dark and discordant and moody composition. So it was not really expected that he would produce a score that had as i've said just such a strong melodic sense to it and and really the lord of the rings films i mean it's 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 not just impressive because these were long movies and in the course of three years i mean he did you know three or four hours worth of music for for each film so there's you know anywhere from 10 to 12 hours of original composition made for these films there are several recognizable themes i saw where howard shore himself said that there are upwards of 40 different themes that recur over the course of the films it's fun to go back and hear how in the in fellowship of the ring, there will be a hint of a theme that then gets fully developed in a later film. And then there's a lot of callbacks to different themes you heard earlier. Like, and you know, it's kind of like what we were saying about the team America thing. There's, there's the sad version of team America and there's the happy version of team America. And I remember, you know, I remember noticing when I was a child, it's like, there's the star Wars theme and then there's the sad version that they play when things aren't going so great. And the, so the Lord of the Rings score has all of that going on. And it is definitely that type of score that takes the emotion that's on screen and just amps it up to the utmost degree and makes it really powerful and really cinematic. Something that doesn't always work unless the images kind of own up to it. And I think that when you have this kind of epic film, you can have that kind of grand score and it can actually, it matches the emotions and the importance of what you're seeing on screen. So there's a lot of moments to choose from with uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. In fact, there's more moments, uh, you know, given that there's like 12 hours of content. But the the moment that I... Keep coming back to, and it was the first of of any, really the only of any of the tracks in all those films that I ran out and got on iTunes when it was available, just because in this moment in the movie, this, this piece of music just stuck in my head. And it is from Return of the King. It's a piece of music called Minas Tirith and it is the moment when Gandalf goes riding into Gondor with Pippin on the back of his horse and they're riding to go warn the steward of Gondor about the coming danger. Basically, they're coming to the bastion of all the men and so it's positioned as this kind of glorious ride up the city which is like a walled city built into a cliff face and there's just this steep street that goes from the entrance to the city all the way up to the palace where the the king lives. I would say that it's not a must that you be able to hum the tune for it to be a great score, but seeing that I grew up with those great John Williams scores, that's something that I I don't necessarily look for, it, but I, I do consider that to be an achievement, when you can have something that's got that full orchestra sound and it still sounds fresh just because the tune will be fresh. You know, yeah. we, we hear a lot of really anonymous orchestral music in movies, and there'll be a lot of, especially in a lot of superhero movies, there'll be all these just... The horns blaring and everything's going on, but there's no real melody to kind of carry out of yeah. it. You know, I, I really am in awe of that of that ability to create that many that many melodic ideas and develop them over that much time. So, Howard Shore for the Lord of the Rings.
1: Cool. Um, well, it's my turn. You seem excited. Yeah. Oh man, I, I tell you. Uh, <laughs> before before that, that I I've really seen the Lord of the Rings movies. Mm-hmm. Honestly, you haven't. No. Man. Wow. Uh, so there's uh, I am I am opposed was opposed to a certain type of movie mm-hmm. and, and I think I think I need to open my mind to it I just can't for some reason Lord of the Rings was just a movie that I could not watch I watched the first one and I was like I can't can't do it anymore well I mean the first one in my mind might still
0: be the best of the three so if you didn't like the first one maybe it's maybe it's not for you it was also years yeah. ago though
1: yeah I feel like I feel like my taste in things has changed quite a bit. In, well, I mean, I ways.
0: I personally I don't think of myself as being a sucker for that type of film, but for me the Lord of the Rings trilogy just represents the height of so many different types of things. Mm. One of them would be the composing. It's exactly that kind of giant score that you picture in this type of movie. And then like, you know, the locations in Lord of the Rings, it's really fun to watch the way they took New Zealand, this place that we had never really seen on screen before. And they filmed all these places that might as well be other worlds, you know. Yeah. So it's almost maybe you take certain things for the move about the movie for granted at this point. I I think at the time I was just pleased in an era where the Star Wars prequels had come out and it was becoming obvious that maybe I wasn't a kid anymore. There were the Lord of the Rings films to make me feel like oh okay someone is actually making big fantasy epics that are worth the emotional investment. But yeah. you know I could you know there's it's definitely not for everyone. I mean I'm almost shocked that the Lord of the Rings films were as surefire of a success. As they were because i i think that the sort of good versus evil that's depicted in those movies is a little bit more simplistic and sincere than we usually see nowadays now i i think within that there's a lot of a lot of interesting shades of gray but after this use of this on on this list i've decided i'm gonna there's a moratorium on me talking about lord of the rings until there's a new Hobbit movie out in just a few months, so right, I'm going right. to try not to include them on any other lists, even though just about every list we've come up with. There's, Robbie, Robbie there's a way that I could squeeze Lord of the Rings on there, you know. I'm I'm really just trying to impress my son, who's into that yeah. stuff right now. So
1: Robbie will be disappointed.
0: Well, no, you know, you know, maybe we'll have him in here yeah, to talk about that, that next Hobbit film.
1: He says that he he would love that, so me to do that.
0: Yeah, well, maybe we'll get him and Henry just to have a conversation <laughs> about Lord of the Rings. I'm
1: sure they would have an amazing conversation. <laughs> I bet that would be good. <laughs> Um, so yeah, what's your what's your pick number two? Roll movie I chose. Hand? Movie I chose is about a man with an existential crisis. He goes through all this crap um, and he finds an existential doctor and he helps him solve these issues. Now, we do use this song or one version of it um during the course of our podcast. And that is our theme for movie movie. Um, and the movie is I Heart Huckabees. Um, what can I say about this movie that hasn't been said about Barack Obama? What? I don't know why I said that. I don't know where that came from. That was very weird. You promised you wouldn't get political. Uh, it's Well, it's one of those songs, one of those things that has three different versions. Mm-hmm. Um, one version is kind of calm, one is kind of in between and one's a little faster paced and the name of it is Monday. a beautiful soundtrack like I mean um, score if you if you listen to the whole thing all the songs are very different but they weave into each other very neatly so that's actually a movie I think that's a movie that
0: we have we all really like it doesn't come up a lot I'm surprised it hasn't popped up on some of our lists before because I think it's got a little bit of everything for me I you know I, I find that to be a weirdly underrated film overall. yeah
1: it's really really underrated I heart Huckabees John Bryan Steve, you next.
2: Oh, that's my turn. Yep.
1: Well, this is my, this is, this is my Audible. This is my Audible. Okay. Um, this
2: was close to making it. I couldn't decide, but I'm going to Audible.com,
0: go one of our sponsors. <laughs> Not really.
2: <laughs> go to audible.com slash movie for 20% yeah, right. off your first order. <laughs> right. um, so I'm going to go with a film series as well. This is going to probably be my... Uh... Don't really go to
0: audible.com slash movie We don't have any <laughs> sponsorship deals.
2: <laughs> um. I may get some crap for this, but I'm fine with it. I've embraced it throughout the course of my life that I'm a huge fan of this film series, mm-hmm. even though it may be geared towards younger persons. Uh, if this you say a- Garbage
0: Pail Kids again... Damn it, Sean. <laughs> oh, then no, you said uh, series. Sorry.
2: Yeah. Uh, this is a film series with eight titles, so it beats your Lord of the Rings. Oh, okay. I'll take your three and rise it to eight. Mm-hmm. Um, this Burp. is the, uh, the Harry Potter series. Um, I don't think that there are very many movies that have a theme song that's more recognizable than Hedwig's theme from Harry Potter. Originally from John Williams, through the course of the films, there's been different composers that have been involved with the different movies. Um, as the themes in the films kind of grew, so did the music, I think, style, stylistically, thematically, just the way it sounds. Mm-hmm. Um you know the first film sounds a little more magical, whimsical. As you get towards like *Prisoner of Azkaban* and, and on *Until Deathly Hollows*, the movie gets, um, the music gets a bit darker. But the consistent is through the different variations of of, of *Headwigs* Hedwig, theme. Um, every time I visit the the Wizardly World of Harry Potter in, in Universal <laughs> Studios every year, it just does something to me. And mm. it's this. That's right, it, folks.
0: Every time he visits, implying every time, plural visits,
2: implying at least once a year. Um, you go once a year, absolutely um absolutely but anyway
0: the the theme the music overall i think is magical um I don't watch- you love when a friend does something that is so them yeah like the fact that you do that every year that's and it. the fact that you sing backstreet boys songs to your dog and all sorts of things <laughs> you know steve is so steve no one else is steve but steve
1: is steve and i love that's that like- you go every year thank you john thank you john
2: um you guys should come with me one year maybe i don't know maybe yeah. i would love has to. henry ever been no, he not yet. That's all I'm saying. After Opportunity, I, knock, knock. <laughs> that's that's what that is.
1: I went there and I melted, man. I felt like I felt it. Like, you felt I was, it, right? I was like, Whoa, it's contagious. Was... It's ridiculous. Yeah, and, that, it's... and
2: as that song pipes in over the park, it just it does something. Yeah. And that is a testament to just the skill. I mean, John Williams would obviously appear on many other films that we may pick if this was an all-time list, like John just said. Mm-hmm. But I'm gonna give him some kudos for Harry Potter. For specifically Hedwig's theme.
1: Sound, I like Tim Burton. It, it, is, it is a little bit. It's very.
2: I mean, like whimsical. It's yeah, just like all I think I like of. It. Like just the the strings and you know you hear the little plucks. It just sounds so innocent to me. And so if you listen to the different versions on the the each film score for the for the for the series, there are a lot of variations to it, even mm-hmm. from other composers that you know work on that theme, which I think is really cool. You know, I mean, not that it's like break any mold, but as these kids that watch these movies grew with it even as I did or just as a filmmaker with you know as they got older the theme got a little more serious and it's like I want that playing in the background as I'm doing certain things like in life you know what I mean like <laughs> yeah. I want my own I want a theme like that like I, I want something that sounds as magical and and, and innocent and, and forever youthful it just sounds that way to me and I'll always identify that way with it but yeah Harry Potter hey, film Prada. series
0: Hedwig's theme shout out John, number two, what do you got? My next pick is actually another John Bryan score. I kept coming back to the way that music was used in Punch Drunk Love. Oh, yeah. The Paul Thomas Anderson film starring Adam Sandler. And there's a lot of weird sonic touches in that film. I mean, the music is almost used to unsettle you. One Piece... It's just the overture. It's got your sort of standard, what you expect from John Bryan, a lot of the kind of mellotrons or organs or weird keyboards, a lot of what makes his music sound so unique. It's the story of a guy, Barry Egan, who is kind of falling apart mentally. And so the score kind of does that as well. I noticed that this one piece, the overture, it, it has all the elements of a really pretty piece of music in fact it's almost like John Bryan is working in an almost Disneyfied mode with these sweeping strings and harps and everything sounds kind of bouncy but there's an undercurrent to it that's kind of unsettling and 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 this track in particular it really kind of it almost like it it unmixes and remixes itself while you're listening to it Took all those John Bryan touches and kind of threw them into disarray, and it really does. Like I said, it really mirrors the mental state of the of the lead character, who's yeah. ha- who's not having a great time in his life. was, that,
1: it, was I, I love that film though? Yeah. yeah, wasn't it like a thing that there was like a theory that she was stalking him or something like that? You know, I haven't heard any theories about that movie, so I don't know. Maybe there is a theory what? out there. What? What? There's like the, that's like the theme. Like the there's like this huge theory that she was following him the entire movie. Mm. And that, like, there were hints of it in the movie that I really hadn't picked up on at all.
0: What I like about that movie is that it basically takes the Adam Sandler comedic persona and puts it in a more real-world context and basically says, okay, if you have a guy who's got these weird moments of rage... And this weird kind of antisocial tendency. What is he like if you stick him more into the real world and not into the comedy world? Normally, Adam Sandler's playing that guy, but he's in a comedy world. Yeah. In Punch Drunk Love, you see that a guy who goes around acting that way is un- is unstable. He's, he's damaged, <laughs> you know? And I thought that was one of the kind of clever conceits, that it's a comedy. But it's also sort of like you almost don't like to laugh because he's he's definitely a... You know, you might be laughing at an insane person. Yeah. All right, Ronald.
1: Uh, okay, so, mine. Is <laughs> fucking fucking first and foremost, you have everything I like in a movie. You got cars, you got bright pink colors,
0: <laughs>
1: and you have an amazing electric, electronic, beautiful bassy soundtrack in Cliff Martinez. Awesome. Uh, the movie that I love, the movie that I've chosen as my final pick. ...is uh, Drive. Uh, The reason I chose it is because... um, So, it's one thing to expect a movie... There are movies like Lincoln... ...where you expect it to have a certain type of soundtrack. You expect it to be a certain level of... I don't know. Care put into a movie. You know, just because it is what it is. It's a movie about, you know, whatever the theme is. Like the president, for example, Lincoln. But this movie swept me off my feet because I wasn't expecting a for the movie to be as good as it was and B for the soundtrack to be as I, I don't know thunderous I don't know it kind of it kind of struck me as a in a way that I it made me I'm'm I'm, I like music and it made me want to make music it made me want to like listen to music um it just It just was really powerful and um, I guess the one that I've chosen is this one.
0: While we were listening to that cue, we all we all slipped on our, our scorpion jackets and, <laughs> and we sat silently staring off into space with each other. But I think Steve's got some bad news for Ronald regarding that last track that you chose, Ronald.
2: Yeah, that's not Cliff Martinez. It's not. Cliff it's the Man. Chromatics,
0: right? So technically, it's not score. It's a song that was plucked from the ether for the film.
1: But the 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 score is good still. <laughs> we all. agree. But I do really like that song. <laughs> It is. That's a great, great, great score.
0: No, I found the. You know, you guys know. I just recently saw Drive, and so to me, the fact that after all the hype I heard and everyone talking about how great the soundtrack was and how married to the soundtrack the film was, I, I, the fact that even with all that hype, it's still, the film was still beautiful. The soundtrack was still awesome. It was still powerful. That just tells you that that movie really does have something going for it. You it know, Be, beyond the hype. Even someone, even a contrarian like me. Who, if the movie is hyped and and loved, I want not to like it. Right. I couldn't find really any reason to to not be completely sucked up in that in that just the mood. Everything about there were so many things that shouldn't have worked, right be. down to like the the kind of '80s font that the that the title <laughs> comes up in. So many things that would have seemed silly in someone else's hands for some reason in this movie, it really did play into this this mood and this vibe of just. Uh, I don't know, There was like a, there's like a sleaze to it. There's like an 80s kind of sleaze that <laughs> yeah. they managed to achieve by virtue of that stuff. Definitely. So Steve, he's over there grooving. He's, he's, I'm like, Steve's I'm grooving. I'm Drive soundtrack, <laughs> yeah. man.
2: Drive was going to possibly be on my list, but I, I, I axed it only because there's a lot of original songs in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, great, 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 great choice.
0: So in your mind, the fact that there's a lot of original songs in there meant that it wasn't admissible in the score category, but it's only because you were sort of like caught up following and understanding the rules of this, uh, yeah, <laughs> this episode. Say, yeah. My fault. My fault. <laughs> Dick move. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how dare. It gives me that Dick Move was my porn name, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good name. Dick Move.
2: <laughs> I love how there was a way to work that into a, a, an episode about scores. <laughs> uh, so my last pick is actually... So let me explain something. I had, this, this one is the one that completely came out of left field. I had the, the sample that we're going to share on the podcast in my iTunes, but only this one and one other track from the score. Mm. Um, this is a film that I absolutely loved from 2010, was on my top five of the year, and uh, it is How to Train Your Dragon. <sighs> okay, so let me just tell you something. Leading up to recording this podcast, I've listened to this entire score. Seventy plus minutes, at least six times at work. Wow, awesome! There is no filler on this score. Mm-hmm. Granted, it does have moments where it's got that you know, like kitty Mickey Mouse ish going for. It, even mm-hmm. though this is DreamWorks, but yeah. it's got that kind of vibe, um, and it's acknowledged, you know, in the mm-hmm. score. Even even talking, to, uh, reading some articles with John Powell, who's a composer um, of this score. There is just something about it that goes more towards what Hans Zimmer did with the Lion King score a lot more contemporary, a lot more emotional, and uh, I don't want to say adult, but there are themes in it that really are a little, little more identifiable by people across, you know, kids, adults, teens, whatever it might be, and this is obviously the case with me, I mean, I'm listening to this song, uh, This 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 my choice from the score is Test Drive, this is the scene in the film where Hiccup and Toothless basically <laughs> have forged a relationship, they, they go on their first flight together. Um, this actually might become one of my favorite scores of all time if we ever had that conversation. Mm-hmm. Just simply because I can listen to it from front to back and not have any, not even the slightest urge to skip anything. Mm. Listening to this track, um, it inspires me. It, it, it makes me feel what flying would actually feel like. Beyond saying that this film was incredible, the 3D was so well done watching it. It's one of my favorite 3D films I've ever seen. But if I just close my eyes and listen to this track, this is what I imagine flying would feel like. Oh. From the highest high to something possibly going wrong, and then redemption in it swinging back around and ending on the biggest of crescendos I could probably experience mm-hmm. in, in the sky. I mean, just magical. Um, the score itself, though, you know, a lot of Scottish and Celtic influences, bagpipes, uh, even some female vocals thrown in there, some violins, fiddles. Just really, really great, great score. I can, as much as I like Social Network, And I did like the score from that film as well. It was on my possibles. I have no idea how this did not win best score at the Academy Awards in 2010, which Social Network did win. Um, I listened to both just to kind of give it a fair shot for a lot of these ones that were making my list. And I did find myself going through Social Network pretty quickly Mm -hmm. and skipping a lot of stuff. I had the identifiable ones that I knew I liked, but this, I don't even know what else to say. I feel like I'm gushing over it and I feel like I need to because I... I was like reawakened how much i loved this soundtrack as a standalone Mm -hmm. entity outside of the movie Mm. you know but this 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 is uh this is test drive and again this is the the moment in the film that our, our our hero and his new uh sidekick forge their relationship and become the best of friends
0: What's happening to Hiccup, Steve? I don't like this. Here it comes. I think I have it. that was a that was like an unexpectedly good movie. I mean yeah. yes, I've seen a lot of children's films in the last few years and I've been forced to have some pretty serious opinions about them and this is one that apparently adults enjoy it too. Yeah, I <laughs> I, I, I
2: love this score, I love the movie. And it was interesting reading about uh reading about John Powell about how like he'd done a lot of the other Dreamworks films like the Shrek score and I think Chicken Run which is actually one of his more notable scores, but he's this was the first one that he had actually done by himself without uh, Hans Zimmer and uh, and uh, Harry Gregson Williams, who he'd done everything else with, mm-hmm. so for this to be the first one he did by himself, and to really kind of be able to make this epic, just swooping thing that goes, you know, every possible emotion I feel like you could think of. Like there's even a romantic theme in on the score, which is also incredible. I almost picked that for this mm-hmm. for my sample, but I, I could not have. Uh, Test drive, even just for the moment, for me just to get pumped up again. Mm-hmm. I mean, just such a, such an impressive, uh, and I'm a cheese ball like that. Like I, I, like you said earlier, like I am all about that moment, that, that that feeling of of possibility, and like like I was telling you, like getting goosebumps at that swell at the end. Mm-hmm. It just that happens to me, yeah. I, you know, and I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. And even if it's an animated film that was made by DreamWorks Animations, <laughs> I don't give a shit. This is like one of the best scores I've ever heard in my life. Sounds and, sounds and really it's good. Epic and Ronald, having
0: not seen the film, I highly recommend you. No, watch I think them. you would enjoy it quite yeah. a bit. I think it's, it's you great. Would. It's, it's, it's one of it's... my favorite
2: animated films in a long time.
0: It's got like great character design. A real care is taken to kind of set up a world. It's it's definitely, it's that rare occasion where it ended and I thought, oh, they're probably going to make a bunch of sequels to this, and I'm just fine with that. Yeah, absolutely. You know? <laughs> cool. Yeah, dude, that was my that that's it for me. Well, bring it home, John. My last pick is one that i kind of knew i might go to this filmmaker who works with this composer a lot because i've liked the music in a lot of their films and it was hard for me to pick a particular moment though where i thought the score was just stuck in my mind part of the reason why i love this piece of music is connected to the way it pops up in the in the movie this is uh bill murray as steve zissou from uh, the life aquatic with steve zissou and this is a scene where they are about to go raid a pirate's compound. They've, they're, they're suiting up, they're putting on their wetsuits and their headgear and Steve Zissou is kind of showing off one of the features of the headgear.
1: Supposedly Cousteau and his cronies invented the idea of putting walkie talkies into the helmet, but we made ours with a special rabbit ear on the top so we could pipe in some music. It's
0: not just the music that pops up in that scene, it's the little, little grooving dance that Bill Murray does to it. And it's that kind of dance where, first, you're self-conscious dancing, where you're not really sure what to do with your hands. It's just a great little bit of comedy. <laughs> then, the, then the music, you know, it goes from being the sound of it piped in on the, the tinny headphones built into his his helmet. And then it goes to being the actual score of the movie, and it stays in that kind of electronic, kind of cheap synth mode. And then when they actually mount their raid on the 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 base where these pirates are, where the pirates have taken, actually they don't really seem to care that much about the guy that they're rescuing. He's a he's they call him a bond company stooge who was who was on their <laughs> boat, but they, they they feel sort of honor bound to rescue the guy. And so the the the, the chintzy little synth score becomes this orchestral score. And it's a piece of music that really develops over like a couple of minutes. And it's just a really impressive piece of composition and arranging. And the way that it's used in the movie, it's kind of introduced as a real element that they're hearing in the movie into the score. I just thought it was a really innovative thing. It's a piece of music called Ping Island slash Lightning Strike Rescue. Things that I don't usually notice when it's happening. A lot of times when you go back and watch a movie, you notice certain things. But I remember when I was watching that movie the first time, when I noticed that the exciting action music that you were hearing once they were trying to rescue or their, rescue their friends from the pirates was actually just a different version of the cheap <laughs> little synthesizer music. That that was such a fun thing to realize. And also at oh, the yeah, time, cool. it was an unusual type of, of story element to have in a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. And it was unusual for to see him directing, even though it doesn't really play out like a, a Hollywood-style action sequence, it was fun to see Wes Anderson characters and actors running around and yeah. doing that type of stuff, because it felt like a, a little bit of a goof on an action scene, but it also had real stakes. Mark Mothersbaugh, the composer of that, has done music for a lot of Wes Anderson films. I don't know that the score to Life Aquatic is my favorite score, but that moment is definitely the moment where I think of Mark Mothersbaugh's music and, um, and Wes Anderson's visuals as being, you know, it's married in my mind and I'll never I'll never forget it. Sure. Yeah. So what are your auto rands, Ronald? Did you have anything that, that didn't what was your uh your thing that you've discovered didn't fit the parameters because it wasn't from the twenty first century? A
1: Clockwork orange. Clockwork orange. That just really? missed it. Yeah, just missed just it. Missed it. <laughs> hey, it takes place in the
0: twenty-first century, I think, maybe. To...
1: That that movie that movie shook up my world and the soundtrack mostly composed of older composers. Uh, was an original score because it was like some redone versions of uh, older mm-hmm. stuff like Beethoven and stuff like that, but it's that that score stuck with me. Mm-hmm. It stuck with me. It's it's even though it's not from now. So
0: something even though it's not from now, it still stuck with you. Stuck with weird. Me. You're suggesting that sometimes things that are old might still have some value. Yeah, that is fucking weird. Right? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> what a strange thing to say. What about you, Steve? Must have been oh thinking with my, my ass brain. So many, man. <laughs>
2: I don't want to be the jerk, but I'm gonna just name them real quick. I had uh, actually I had Inception.
1: Oh yeah, that's a good one.
2: uh, I had the uh, Dark Knight, Social Network I said earlier. Actually, Babel. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, yeah. I thought that square was incredible. That actually won an Academy Award. Um, Wild Cards would be Twenty Eight Days Later. Mm -hmm. Where the wild things are.
1: Yes. Oh man, I forgot about that.
2: The one that no one would ever put on their list probably, but I have a soft spot for this film and the TV series. But uh, Friday Night Lights, Mm -hmm. which uh, the score was done by Explosions in the Sky. Just awesome, like, post-rock, like, guitar, delay, just super inspirational and swelling. And if you ever listen to any of... I mean, the score for the television show as well, but the film from 2004, I think it was, with Billy Bob Thornton. Mm. Um, Awesome
1: movie. I love it. It's high school football. It's a great movie. Mm -hmm. It really
2: is. It's super...
1: I just watched it very recently.
2: It, dude, you should watch T V series. It's one of my favorite uh, shows. It makes ever. me want to. Ever. It makes
1: that show. Was but just, just yeah, was so-
2: just the highs of the that score specifically, like, just match so well with like uh, the the theme of the of the film, like this this football team and it's really all this town holds on to is these kids and this is their future. This is every opportunity they have. Just the music just is so great in that film. It's not on any best of list, but something I remember watching that movie and in in the big game at the end, the music just almost overtaking me more than actually what I was watching on the screen. But um, just really, really, I'm not an explosion to the sky fan, but that, that, that their involvement with that score is uh, pretty, pretty remarkable in my opinion.
0: I, I like a lot of people enjoyed the, uh, the work that Trent Reznor did with, the last couple of David Fincher movies, I thought mm-hmm. he did a good job with that. I couldn't say that I had like the personal connection to it though. But a, a movie that I that was definitely on the edge of my list that I just didn't end up using because there wasn't a particular moment with where the score and and the movie were just. Where It wasn't just it was just burned into my brain. I have a feeling if I'd rewatched this movie, though, mm. I probably would have had a moment. And that's uh, Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead, his score for There Will Be Blood. Oh, yeah. And The Master All as well. Right. But I think particularly with There, there Will Be, Be Blood, Blood, I remember that music really was a huge part of the effectiveness of that movie. And Absolutely. it was just unfortunate to me. I didn't have time to go back and watch it and pick that piece. But that's definitely a piece that kind of blew me away. And another person that I'd, I can't say that I'm that impressed overall with how memorable the scores are, but I, I guess I got to give a prop to someone a, a prop. Can you do that? Just give one prop. <laughs> Just, one prop. <laughs> Just one prop. Just one proper. Uh to uh to Shane Carruth... For being a guy who writes, directs, acts in, produces, and composes the score for his movies, I think that the music in Upstream Color, whereas it didn't have like a thematic element, it was impressive and atmospheric. And it's all the work of one guy. And I think you got to give a little bit of a nod to those people who. Yeah. It's not about necessarily writing like these memorable pieces of music so much as it is about underscoring the mood and the atmosphere. And I think there's probably a ton of those that we just can't think of because we don't. You know, your brain doesn't. Your, your brain doesn't perceive it as music when you're watching it. You're just kind of feeling the mood. So. Yeah. And there's actually one that I actually want to play out with tonight that we'll have as our closing song tonight that I'm, I'm shocked, shocked it was not on your list, Ronald. And it would have been on my list for sure if I hadn't been absolutely certain it was going to be on your list. So we'll say our goodbyes, and then you'll hear the song that I'm, I'm absolutely shocked Ronald didn't choose. Okay.
1: Absolutely shocked.
0: <laughs> have I made it clear
1: that I was shocked?
0: Yeah.
2: You might have surprised them, Ronald. Yeah.
1: Hmm. <laughs> okay, I'm ready to listen to this. All right.
0: So I guess that's it for episode 81 of the it's Movie Schmovie. Good times, man. Film related podcast. Yeah, I like this, this a lot. This is good. This is a lot yeah. of fun. I mean, I could come back to this actually, and I think we might do soundtracks. We might do like musical moments that are based around pre-existing pop songs or, you know, when the the, the other kind of music for movies where they they're plucking songs and how they use them as mm-hmm. the point, like the Quentin Tarantino mixtape approach. Yeah. Would be fun. So.
2: It's mm. a good mm-hmm. idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to hear the song. I'm very yeah. very intrigued now. So on that note, uh, as always, you've made our day.
0: the song is, Ronald, composed by Ben Zeitlin and Dan Romer, from the soundtrack of Beasts of the Southern Wild, Once There Was a Hush Puppy.